0: Well, today is marked as Good Friday, when we remember the Lord's crucifixion. And as Richard has reminded us here at Billinghay, it is our anniversary, 175 years. I want to lay before you this afternoon a text that really applies to a church anniversary. Uh, it also applies to the fact that it's Good Friday. It's first verse that uh, Richard kindly read, verse 29 of John 1. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Isn't that an amazing statement? It's an amazing statement for any occasion, but particularly for today. The famous missionary to Burma, uh, Dr. Judson, he he returned to America after many years. And that was a a great occasion, because remember, there was no email, there were no telephones as such. And uh, they hadn't seen him for many years. And he was asked to speak to a large congregation. And uh, he spoke of Christ being the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. When he sat down, the chairman chided him a bit and said, well, you've been in Burma for all those years. Surely you could have told us some of the interesting things that happened in Burma when you were there. Dr Judson said that he'd spoken to the best of his ability upon the most interesting and important subject there was, the Lamb of God who suffered for sinners. So I guess I, along with some of you who are preachers, we could no doubt speak of many interesting things, but this is the most interesting, and this is the most important. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. You know, in one sense, when you think of church anniversary... Uh, this is the main activity of the church, isn't it? It's the main activity of any Christian, that we are to point people to Jesus Christ. It uh, doesn't matter whatever we're doing in the church, whatever we're doing in our personal lives, there must be something there that points people to Christ. Because if it doesn't, then we really lost the plot. We might as well go home. What is the church for but to say to people, Behold, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. And in one sense, every sermon is like that. If we encourage people in holiness, what do we say? Behold the Lamb of God, he is the Holy One. Be ye holy even as I am holy, says Christ. We encourage people in discipleship. We say, behold the Lamb of God, he is our teacher. He is the one that we follow. We might be preaching about the attributes of God. And it doesn't matter where we go, We say, well, behold the Lamb of God, because in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. I think it was Spurgeon who said that if Christ isn't in your sermon, go home and preach no more. Now, the account that uh, we've read in uh, the Gospel of John, we find that the writer here is telling us about three particular days of John the Baptist's ministry here. On day one he tells his disciples, Messiah's here. Read that in verse 26 and 27. He says there, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. That was day one. Day two, he tells his hearers that they should look to Messiah. Verse 29, next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then on the third day, we find in verse 36 and 37, he tells his followers there, follow Messiah. So that's where we're going this afternoon for a little while. Messiah is here. Look to Messiah and follow Messiah. And embedded in those three days... It is the message that changes the eternal destination for all who will put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is that which, if taken to our hearts, God the Holy Spirit will motivate us as Christians that we might be, as the hymn says, or with the enthusiasm the hymn says that drives us to our knees. And we're we're really honest, uh, many of us here as Christians. We don't have much that drives us to our knees. Sometimes we have to be driven, and sometimes there is a vacant seat, isn't there, where we ought to be in the house of God, on our knees, as it were, in prayer. So let's see where we go. First of all, then, day one, Messiah Christ is here. That was the message of that day. Now, John the Baptist was a very mysterious person to the religious leaders of the day. Um, I guess he is a bit to us when we look at him in Scripture, He was baptising people. He'd got lots of people following him. And to those Jewish leaders, who is this guy? He's just come out of the wilderness. He's dressed in camel skin clothing. Uh, They say, you know, he's had an odd diet or whatever. He is a hermit. So why do all these people follow him? Who is he? And so in verse 19, it says, the priests and Levites asked him, who art thou? Where'd you come from? Some said, well, he is the Messiah. He quickly denied that. Some said, well, you're Elijah. He denied that. You are that prophet. Look back to Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 18, and you'll find reference to that prophet. It actually, I think, means Messiah again, but he denied that, of course. So they said, well, who are you? He said, "My a voice in the wilderness. Make straight way the way of the Lord. And they would have heard that as Jehovah. That would have really rocked them a little bit to what they heard. Well, we don't know who he is, but he's saying, Make way for, for God, for, for the Messiah. In fact, he didn't say much about himself at all. Having lived in the wilderness for years on locusts and wild honey, uh, that's a diet for you, isn't it? He didn't do so bad on it. I, I saw someone during a week collecting locusts to eat, and you, you, I can tell you how to do it. It's a handy tip, all right? you get a long club and you put sticky tape on the end and you find your locusts and you just go around and they they stick on the end. Well, John the Baptist wouldn't have had sticky tape, but I guess he could have got his honey and he could have gone with his honey and picked up all these locusts. Well, that's not a recommendation for... Well, I think we've got something better than that out there. (laughs) You know, in the many years of solitude, he had communed with God. And you know, there's much to be gained from solitude with God. Ask David when he was a teenager, that's when he found the Lord. Ask Elijah, ask Daniel, ask Jeremiah, ask these great men of the Old Testament, indeed many in our own history, of the power that they gained by being alone with God. And yet, above all this, this is what the Lord said about John. Verily I say unto you, this was from Matthew 11, among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. That is a strange thing to say. But it's not time for a Bible study. We put that back into context. Jesus was saying that John was better than all the Old Testament uh, prophets because he actually got to see the Messiah. They were looking towards it, but John actually saw the Messiah. And then the Lord says something that to me is even more amazing. He says, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. So he's saying, John the Baptist is the best yet, but if you're the lowest in the kingdom, you're better than John the Baptist. What did he mean? We know the full story of the gospel. We know not only that Christ was coming, Messiah is here, but we've seen what he's done. And for many of us here, we've come to know the Saviour. We have a, a living relationship with him. And the Pharisees among them asked, well, if he isn't the Messiah, if he isn't Elijah, why do you baptise? He didn't actually give them a plain answer, but he pointed them to Christ. There standeth one among you. Whom you know not. That was his message for that day. Christ is here. Messiah that you've been talking about for centuries has actually turned up, as it were. The nation of Israel had missed the whole point, hadn't they, of Christ coming? They've been saying they've been waiting for centuries, and when he actually comes, they didn't recognize him. My friends, are we not in the same position today? There are many religious leaders, but they don't recognize Jesus Christ of the Bible. When they come to Good Friday, it's almost an embarrassment because, well, we don't talk about the blood of Jesus Christ anymore. We don't talk about the gospel and people having to come to repentance and faith. And Good Friday speaks of so much of that. In other words, John is saying here in Day 1, I am the forerunner of Messiah, and by the way, he's already here. And that would have been quite a jolt to the Jewish leaders. You know, we're aware that People who follow Judaism, whilst believing that Christ existed in history, they don't see him as their Messiah, although increasing numbers are, especially as their eyes are open to Isaiah 53, many of whom didn't even know probably that it was in their Old Testament scriptures. But they lived in the expectation of the coming of Messiah. They were conditioned, as it were, as to what the leaders had actually told them about what to expect it was always something in the future and that reminds us doesn't it that you know we're in a similar situation we're always looking to the future for the coming of messiah the return of the lord jesus christ we have to be careful we're not like the jews that it's always going to be something that is a long long way away We don't know when the Lord's coming again, but we see many signs around us and and that takes us off to another subject. But my friends, what a comfort to us to know as a church and the church is represented here, Christ has come. We're not looking forward to a day when Christ is coming to do a saving work. He's done it. That's the message then of day one. Day two, John tells people to look to Christ. Verse 29, the next day. John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus turns up. That must have been quite an amazing experience. And we see here something of a display of John's faith and knowledge from communing with God in the wilderness. And I say that for two reasons. John didn't seem to know or to be sure who Jesus was in the sense that although they were cousins, maybe they'd had some activity as children, but it doesn't seem until he was witness there of of the baptism of Christ that he really actually acknowledged and and realised that this particular man is the Christ. Because he says in verse 31, I knew him not, I knew him not, but God gave him that sign at the baptism. But the other reason that we know that John had a great knowledge, in fact, who Christ was, and when he pointed them, behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, he had got a great knowledge now of who Christ was. Because if we were to read down through the other verses, he says in verse 38, he's rabbi, he's our teacher. Verse 41, he reminds them, this is Messiah. Verse 34, he's the son of God. Verse 49, he's the king of the nation, he's king of Israel. Verse 51, he is the son of man. But our main emphasis for the afternoon is that first thing that he acknowledged and told them, that he was the lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. What does he say? Behold. What a word we use a lot today. You might say, look. It's actually a stronger word than that. I think the original uh, language there is, uh, literally means more than simply looking but an actual perception of what you're seeing. In other words, he's saying, behold, look, don't just look at this man as a man, but have a perception and understanding, this is the Lamb of God, this is Messiah, this is the one and the only one who taketh away the sin of the world. Didn't come as a king. He didn't say, behold, your king cometh here, although he mentions him being a king later. The first mention is that he is a lamb, a lamb to be slain. You know, of all the millions of lambs that had been slain in the Old Testament, they covered sin, as it were, to the satisfaction of God, but didn't really remove it. Here was the one who became the the substance of all those shadows. He was the one who became the reality and gave reality to all those Old Testament sacrifices. Behold him, look to him. You know, there's no one else. Understand who you're seeing. What more do we want? This is the Messiah. We can say that today, can't we? If we don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. There's no one else. You don't need anyone else. He is all sufficient. He is the Lamb of God. Not someone thought up by man. Not someone who's pushed himself forward. God has decreed this is my only begotten son. He is the answer. He is the only saviour of sinners. And my friends when we say look. Behold the lamb of God. We look at amazing love. We look at amazing perfection. We look at amazing holiness. We look at every sufficiency that God requires of us to be found in him. Just as the children of Israel in the Old Testament at one point were told, weren't they, if they were to live, they were to look at the serpent that had been raised up. And so John writes later on that Jesus Christ has been lifted up, that we might look to him and be saved. Look and live. And it's the same message today. Interesting to know that the first time the lamb is mentioned in Scripture as a type of Christ is where Isaac asked his father. There he was, he was going to be the sacrifice, wasn't he? But Isaac didn't realise that at the time. And so he says to his father, where's the lamb? He knew that we got the wood, we got the altar, where's the lamb? And throughout the Old Testament, the question keeps arising in one sense, where's the lamb? And when we get to today, this is the answer. Behold, here is the lamb. The Lamb of God who cometh to take away the sin of the world. We come to the answer of that question so many centuries later. Then there may be an earlier reference, you know, to the Lamb in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, we read that God made them a covering of skins. I wonder what animal he killed in order to provide those coverings. Those skins. You know, we can't be dogmatic as the scripture is silent. And normally I would say if the scripture is silent, so should we be. But I think it's a a fair assumption based on the rest of scripture that it is not unreasonable to think that the Lord killed a lamb. The first sacrifice for a covering, for an atonement, as a type of the Lamb of God who would provide a covering for all who would seek him. This is God's perfect salvation to deliver us from sin and death and eternal hell. You know, like the children of Israel, you say, well, why wouldn't you look? If looking to Jesus Christ is the the saviour of your soul, if looking to Jesus Christ removes us from that pathway that that sends us to judgment and hell, but, but then puts us on a pathway to glory and eternal life, why wouldn't we look? Because of our sinful nature. That's why we don't look. That's why people don't look. That's why most of the village and and most of your communities, they don't have much interest in today, other than perhaps they haven't got to go to work. Because of our old nature, we don't want to look. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That word taketh, I think in our margin it says, has the connotation of bearing, He he came and he, he bore our sin. He took the load. It's a word that emphasizes the agony of the task that was in hand. He became answerable for our sin. The innocent Lamb of God bore the weight and the vileness of our sin. And then we have the word world. Behold, he taketh away the sin of the world. Speaking there, of course, in a general sense, if anyone in the world, as it were, is to be delivered from sin, then this is the way they must come. Some have created a a dangerous religion by saying, well, if Christ died for the world, then everyone is is saved. That's not what the verse is saying. Indeed, that would deny much of uh, other scriptures. The blessing for us today is that we may all look, we may all come to repentance and faith, those that come to repentance and faith shall find a Saviour. Sadly, today people will look anywhere, won't they, but to the Lamb of God. You now, I said, of course, it is our nature that means that quite often we don't look as we ought. But also, the Scripture says that the Evil One has blinded the eyes of those who believe not. And that's it. And if you say to someone, behold, look, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And you see this person with a white stick. Then they're not going to be able to look because they are blinded. And the scripture says we are dead in trespass and sin. And so you say, well, how can I as a sinner possibly look if I am spiritually dead, if my eyes are blinded? Because the Lord opens blind eyes. The Lord gives grace. The Lord gives us those gifts of repentance and faith and my friend if you sit here this afternoon and you say i have beheld the lamb of god i am put my trust in him he is my savior i believe he died on the cross for me then your eyes have been opened and that is what we call in the scripture isn't it the blessing of sovereign grace so then messiah is here day one day two behold look to him and day three follow him Verse 35, again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked he said behold the Lamb of God and the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. It seems on day three there's doesn't list other people about there's just a few disciples but those were the disciples who sought to follow Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ and my friends following Jesus Christ is natural isn't it if we become a Christian then if we are true believers then we want to follow him if we don't want to follow him then we're not true followers we're not real disciples you see if we are a disciple of Jesus Christ then we're under his discipline we're under the authority of God's word we want to be taught by him I wonder how many over the years have confessed Christ and seemingly started well, but perhaps some trivial thing has come up and they've left off or they're following from afar. The Bible begins to be left unread. Prayer life seems to become very brief, perhaps almost non-existent. The seat that they once filled in the house of God is not filled as often as it should be. And the prayer meeting is left to others now. My friend, a true believer would want to retrace those steps. and Even on this day, what a great day it is to look again afresh at the cross and say, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. We have to go back to the cross, don't we? If we are to kind of pick up our way again. One verse of a hymn says, Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul refreshing view of Jesus and his word? And if we have to ask those questions today, it's a good thing to ask those questions because we realise they need to be asked. And the answer comes again, doesn't it? Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. There were many in Jesus' day who started off well, but they didn't continue. There were those that made a false profession. We read in a little later, 1 John 2, 2.19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not at all of us. In other words, a sign of of true conversion is continuance Continuance under the discipline of the Lord Jesus Christ. Continuance under the authority of God's Word. And, my friends, what a blessing if you've been enabled to follow Christ. Some of you for a few years, some perhaps for many years. But He will, and we will, follow Him all the way home. I want to spend a little bit of time on trying to think now how do we actually apply these things? To our lives. What have we looked at so far? Day one, then, he tells the hearers, Messiah is here. Day two, he tells his hearers to look to Messiah. And day three, they must follow Messiah. So, how do we apply these things? Well, may we know Messiah not only came, as it were, but let's make sure we don't fall into the same trap of thinking, that his second coming is not really our concern, and it is so far away. You know, when Christ returned to heaven, there were many believers then who thought, well, Christ will come back soon. They assumed it would not be long, and you can read of that particularly in Paul's letter uh, to the church at Thessalonica. But as time went on, believers have always looked on Christ's return as something that might happen in the next generation, beyond our time here. Jesus Christ said that no one knows the day of his return except his Father in heaven. But he did say this He'll come in a day when you think not. You know, people have different views about the order of things at Christ's return. But I think we can safely say that 99% of of all true believers believe, firstly, that Christ is coming again. And probably there is very little now that needs to be fulfilled. He, He could come at any day. We need to be ready. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to look, to behold the Lamb of God. In 1967, I was in secular employment and I worked in Somerset House. Many older people would associate that with births and deaths. Well, that was just a a small part. I was working in a a different part to that. I was working in a complex of three rooms. And most of us were quite young and uh, at times we could be a little childish in our behaviour. Uh, but if we knew a higher rank officer was about to come into our rooms, our heads were down and we were very busy. And Some Christians have the same attitude. I even saw a t-shirt once that said, Look busy, Jesus is coming. I'm not sure that that's a very good thing to wear. It's a a bit uh, um, not not as holy as we would want. But I understand the concept of that. That if we knew Christ was coming tomorrow, we might do things differently to what we're doing now. When really the test of our behaviour is, if we knew Christ was coming tomorrow, we'd do exactly what we had planned anyway. It's not because he's coming again. It's because he's God and because he is the Lamb of God and because he died for me. We should look at that a little further this evening, thinking of what does that mean to actually be on that cross? What does it mean in particular to wear a crown of thorns? My friends, let's live in the light of eternity and of Christ's return every day. And then on this chapel anniversary, or any other church here for that matter, let's ensure that we're reaching out to the world and we're saying to people, Behold the Lamb of God. We might not use those exact words all the time, but that's what we're trying to do. Richard has produced a second of our booklets that's going out into the village. And in one sense, that is saying, behold the Lamb of God. In here is the gospel, in here is a testimony, in here is a bit of scripture. And when we're preaching and when we're putting up a posters and whatever we're doing, we're saying, look to the Lamb of God. You say, well, I'm not sure about that. Is that really relevant for today? Is that as contemporary as we want to be? My friend, there is nothing more contemporary than pointing people to Jesus Christ because that's what God tells us to do and that is what God will bless. To get people to see, to behold the Lamb of God. You say, well, is that all we need? Well, no, it needs to be underpinned, doesn't it? It needs to be underpinned by Godliness. He needs to be underpinned by a a life of prayer. And that's how the Lord chooses to open the eyes for people to see and behold the Lamb of God. Then may we also be encouraged this afternoon to know that the Lamb of God has come and we have beheld him. We've beheld him in Scripture. He's he's not just the Saviour of sinners in a general sense. But he is your saviour. And when we look by faith and say, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And we, we look on this state at a cross. And we see him there hanging up naked before his creation. We can say, that's yes, my saviour. It's my saviour. And when we read in the scripture that the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We can say, it's my sin. He's there in my place. He's the one that loves us forgiven us, has promised never to leave us or forsake us. He is the one that will see us all the way home. And then finally this afternoon, a test of our resolve. We know he's come. We know we should look to the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. But have you looked? Don't know who's listening online. It's open to the whole world to hear. May not be aware of the spiritual condition of everyone that sits before us this afternoon. But have you come to know Jesus Christ? Have you come to know, yes, this is not just the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. This is the Lamb of God who took my sin. Not a casual glance as some of these might. When John said, behold the Lamb of God, some might have looked and thought, it not look too special. Isaiah says, when we see him, there is nothing about him in the sense of beauty that we would desire him. But when we see him upon the cross, when we see the blood and the nails and the crown of thorns, we we see a wondrous beauty. We see a saviour hanging there for us. Have you seen that? Have you looked in a saving way? Can you say today, Christ died for you? Can you not behold today, maybe for the first time you're enabled to to look to Christ on the cross by faith and say, for me, for me. That's what Christ came for. That's what he loves to do, is to save sinners. So there we have it then. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He's here. Look to him and follow him. May the Lord so enable us for his name's sake.